Thank you for listening to the City Lights podcast. You can visit us on Sundays, 10 a.m. at 4100 20th Street in Greeley. We hope you enjoy the message. Uh, last week, we kicked off a new uh, series um, called uh, Co-Create. Okay, we call a um, new series called Co-Create. In this series, I want to empower us um, as a body, and I want to empower us individually to... Um, realize the fact that God has created us to be the creative and the transformative agents in this world. God is a creator, and he has made us in his likeness and image to be in his image to be co-creators. We create with God. Um, You can't divorce the fact that if God is creative, he created all this, he made us in his likeness and image, guess what? Creativity is going to be coming through us, okay? And um, creativity is not just for people with, like, that use the right side of their brain, right? Is it right brain people that are, like, artsy? Are those, they painters and stuff? Is it, is it right side? It's not just for artists and painters. Like, of course, God um, inspires creativity in that way. But it's also for accountants, for, for computer programmers, that kind of stuff. And God inspires us to create in this world. And in addition to that, he wants you to be the creative solution to the problems that the city faces. Um, he wants you to be the creative solution to the problem that this world faces. He wants you to be, thank you, Bryson, you're amazing. He wants you to be the creative solution to the problems like, that your family faces. I mean, I mean, how is God going to answer the prayers for your family, right? In your marriage, he's going to use you. He wants to flow through you to bring solutions to those things or in your workplace. The Bible says that we are co-laborers with God, we are co-heirs with Christ, and that we will co-reign with Christ. So we are co-laborers with God, we are co-inheritors with Christ, like what he gets, we get. We inherit what he inherits, come on. And we will co-reign with Christ, and do co-reign with Christ. And you can see in the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, God uses people to bring about his will here on earth. God always uses people from Genesis to Revelation. In some way or some capacity, God uses humans. And so today I want to talk about co-laboring with God. I'll I'll start with a story. The story is kind of funny, but it makes a point more than anything. Okay. And let's call the main character of the story um, Bryson. Is that all right? Is that okay if I use your name? Okay. All right. Bryson had just moved into a new house and was out working in the garden. The garden was overrun with weeds, the shed was falling down, and their greenhouse was just a broken, uh, a frame with a broken glass. This isn't too far off Bryson's yard. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. He works outside all day. He doesn't want to come home and work more. I'm the opposite. I work inside all day, and I want to work outside when I come home, okay? <laughs> Uh, During his first day of work, Bryson's pastor stopped by to bless his work. His pastor said, may you and God work together to make this the garden of your dreams. A few months later, Bryson's pastor stopped by, and behold, the whole place was transformed. The shed had been expertly rebuilt, the vegetables were growing in neat rows, and the greenhouse had been repaired and was full of plump, ripe tomatoes. Amazing, said the pastor. Look what you and God have accomplished together. Yes, Pastor, Bryson said, but let's remember what the place was like when God was working all by himself. (laughs) 
First Corinthians chapter three, verse nine, it says this. We are, uh, for we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You are God's building. Wow, you could hear that through the mic, couldn't you? <laughs> That's awkward. We are God's fellow workers. When you become a Christian, you find out um, a few things about God. I'm just going to kick that down there. When you become a Christian... You find out a few things about God. You know, it's funny, when you get, when you get saved, when you come, become born again, the people that are receiving Jesus, they have no idea what they're receiving. Like, it's kind of like, okay, I'm, I'm passing from death to life. I'll receive this free gift of salvation. I'm giving my life to Jesus. But you really, for the rest of your life, unpacked all the things that happened to you on the day of salvation. In fact, Paul says in the Bible, it will take... Um, eons and generations for us to begin to tap in to the mystery of God's grace. Like we're going to be, like it'll still be unpacking for millennia, the mystery of God's grace in our lives. But when you become a Christian, you find out a few things about God. Not surprisingly, um, you already know that he is the creator. He's sovereign. He's the supreme ruler. Um, He's all powerful. He, he, He possesses all power. He's omnipresent, which is a nice word of saying he's everywhere at once. He creates the universe and he he fills the entire universe. He's omniscient, which means he's all-knowing. He knows, God knows everything that there is to know. God never had an epiphany. Nothing ever popped into God's head. Oh, it just occurs to me. That never happened. That happens to us. That doesn't happen to God. In fact, um, I think it was was Pastor Bill that said this a few weeks ago in in a class that we were doing here at the church. He said, when God asks you a question... He's not looking for information, right? Sometimes God will ask us questions, but he's not at a lack of information. When he asks you a question, he's trying to lead you somewhere, right? He's not looking for information because he possesses it all. He is the king of kings. He is holy. He's majestic. He's a father in heaven. He's our savior. And there's a dynamic of our relationship with God that he is, I don't think you ever graduate from him being, he's our master, Right? We are his servants. And of course, we talk about um, we become his friends as well, and, and, and we're like the bride of Christ. But I think there's a dynamic of our relationship with God that he is master, we are his servants. And I don't think we ever quite fully graduate from that. But in some respects, God is like a boss, and we are like employees. But then the day comes when you realize that God isn't just your boss. He actually co-labors with you in what you're doing, Okay. God works together with us. We co-labor with God. We co-labor with him. He co-labors with us. I'll give you an example. My, my uh, first real job, I had you know, other little jobs before this, but my first real job was I was a courtesy clerk at the Brighton uh, Safeway. Okay, Brighton, Colorado, courtesy clerk. It's my first job. I think I'm 16 years, 17 years old, something like that at the time. How many, how many, by the way, courtesy clerk is a glorified term for a bag boy. Okay, so... <laughs> Um, how many bad boys or bad girls do we have in the house? All right, yeah? Been there? Okay. Everyone's done that a little bit. Okay. Now, I knew as the courtesy clerk, my, I was like the lowest job on the totem pole, and with no seniority at all, I was working all the late shifts, nights, weekends, that kind of stuff. But something that surprised me when I started working that job is that the same guy that hired me, the store manager, the same guy that hired me, um, it surprised me that at times he, would, he wouldn't just sit up in his office all day, right? 
I thought that's what the manager did. He kind of sits up in the office and looks out the window and kind of, you know, yells at people. <laughs> but um, I saw the store manager, um, you know, sometimes he was checking people out when it's busy. Or he's um, stocking and facing the shelves. Sometimes I saw store managers sweeping and mopping floors. Um, but every once in a while, if it's busy, I would, the store manager would jump in right next with you, right next to you, and he'd be bagging groceries with you. Like this is the guy who's in charge of the whole store, and he's doing the to me the lowest job on a totable, bagging groceries right beside me. In other words, even though he was the boss, I would find him co-laboring right beside me. And I just want to say, my my point with this is this. God doesn't just give you a task. He doesn't just say, hey, go do that thing, and then like back up, back to his window in heaven, right? And peer down at you and like, you know, yell at you and point at you. He actually, he gives us a task, but he empowers us to do the task, and then he does the task with us. One of the, one of the names of the Holy Spirit is the helper. He like, we're not just helping God, he's actually helping us with our task, with the thing he's called us to do. And so today I want to just give you a few keys of how we can co-labor with God and he with us, all right? And I think this will be beneficial to all of us. Okay. So how to co-labor with God. Number one, point number one, find out what God is doing in your life, okay? Find out what God is doing in your life. God's not doing everything you're doing, right? It's much, <laughs> it's much easier to find out what God is doing and jump right in the middle of it than it is to like try a bunch of things and kind of ask God to bless it, right? It's better to find out, God, what are you doing in my life? What are you saying in my life? What are you doing in my family? What are you doing with me personally? What are you doing with my kids? And jump into that. Find out what he's doing and what he's saying. It, work with God. If you find out what he's already doing, it, doesn't, it's, it goes and it flows much easier. And many times I think you and I, we get tired and burnt out because we start doing something that God's not in. He's just not in it. And we get tired and burnt out. And I will say this, God is not obligated to make you succeed at things that he has not called you to do. Okay, God has no obligation to make you succeed at something he hasn't called you and you have no business doing, okay? But if you step into the grace that God has for you, he will empower you and he will be with you and help you succeed. He will co-labor with you, okay? God's not obligated to pay the bill on something that he didn't order, right? One of the reasons we knew, my, my wife and I felt called to start this church, and it was a step of faith. One of the reasons we're like, we really believe God was saying to do this is when we went to raise money, like money actually came in, <laughs> you know? <laughs> that's not always the case, you know? And uh, I remember <laughs> we almost didn't want to check if money was coming in. When I did the Kurt Climbs fundraiser, it was like a few days in, and we had a friend that was up, up helping us and staying with us. He's like, so how much has come in so far? I'm like, I don't know. You know, he's like, well, you should know. And then, and then tell people where you're at. And then like, you know, tell people to keep giving and find out where you're at. You know, so we looked down, we're like, oh my gosh, people are actually giving, you know, <laughs> this thing might work. So, but listen, God's not obligated to, to pay for something he didn't order. He's not obligated to um, fulfill things that he didn't call you to do. Okay. Psalm chapter 127 verses one through two, it says this, unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Come on. This is so important in our lives. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the, the guards stand watch in vain. In vain you rise early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat, for he grants sleep. Come on, that came out in worship today. For he grants sleep to those he loves. That's really cool that that came out in worship today. He, you are toiling in vain 
when you're doing something that God has not called you to do. There's no grace. There's no anointing. There's no presence of God on it. There's no help from heaven. But when we find out what God is doing in our lives, we partner with him. Come on. The cooperation is amazing. So don't work hard at something that God isn't doing. Find out what he's doing. There will be a grace and an ease to co-laboring with God. An example, um, I mean, I've done things, I think, in my life, like, oh, that wasn't for me. Let's try this. Try something different. Um, one example I have is uh, Melinda and Evan. These guys are amazing, by the way. Um, there are, they are our outreach directors, outreach missions directors at our, at our church. And Melinda is our finance admin. And she, that girl has been with us, by the way, since she was, I asked Emily last night, 17 years old. So she's part of our young adult ministry when she was 17. And I've seen her in a variety of different roles. And some of them were, eh, okay. And some of them were her grace zone. And, and recently, I'll just say this, my wife and I, we're not good at, like, spreadsheets and uh, balancing books and stuff. I took one accounting class in high school, and then I found out I'm not called to be an accountant ever, 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 ever. I don't even know how I passed that class. I don't, I, I, my understanding is it's not hard. I just couldn't do it. Like, I just didn't have a brain for it. So we have Melinda here. She has a brain for this kind of stuff. And I'm so thankful to God for people that are different than me that are called to walk with us. So she's in her grace zone. She helps us, you know, with the, with the books and with accounting and that kind of stuff. And it's so helpful to see her in her sweet spot. All right. I'm thankful people aren't good at things I'm. People who are good at things I am not good at. Okay. So find the, my, the point is find the grace zone in your life. Find the place where God has called you, where God will empower you and anoint you. All right. And actually, just maybe just as important of a question is, Find out what you're not called to. I just said I'm not called, I know I'm not called to be an accountant. Find out what you're not called to. And this is actually a question I want to start talking to our leadership team about. I want us to come up with a list of things that this church is not called to do. <laughs> you know, and there might be a church across town who's killing it at that thing, doing amazing. That doesn't mean we're called to it. It doesn't mean we have to do it because it looks nice or religious or cute. Like, I want to find out what is this church specifically called to and what are we not called to do? We have opportunities and we have a lot of things going on. And should we try this? Should we do this? Should we include this? Those questions come up a lot. And I actually want to come up with a few things like, that's just not for us, you know? That way we have a little more like staying within our bounds, right? Find out what you're not called to do. All right. And then that's your grace zone. Find out where your grace zone is and stay in that. Okay. What is God doing in your life? Okay. So that's point number one. Point number two, how to co-labor with God, is follow God's voice. All right, this kind of is tied to the first one a little bit, but follow God's voice. If we're going to be people who co-labor with God, we have to have our ears tuned to his voice, both individually for you and corporately as a church. I'll give an example from Scripture. When the children of Israel were fleeing Egypt, God had delivered them from from Egypt, from slavery, and they, they left Egypt, they went out into the desert, and God told them, I want you to camp in this certain place, I want you to, I want you to stay here. They, hadn't, they had not crossed the Red Sea yet, and they're, they're, penned, they're basically right next to the, to the sea, and there's like nowhere from the ghost, if this army pursues them, there's nowhere for them to go. I mean, it sounds like a God setup to me. But they're there, and Pharaoh hears about this and says, hey, these, the children of Israel, they're wandering, they're lost, let's... Let's go get them back, right? So the army pursues the children of Israel into the desert, and we pick up in verse uh, Exodus chapter 14, verse 10 through 12. 
It says this, as Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord. And they said, was it because there was no graves in Egypt? So they said this to Moses. Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us out in the desert to die? It's like a really, wow. Like, this is a nice little dig there, you know. Um, what have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Did we, didn't, we say to, uh, didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone. Let us serve the Egyptians. It would be better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Okay, so watch what Moses says. Moses is kind of like, you guys, I've got this. We've got this, right? We've seen this happen before. There was the, the 10 plagues that came. God delivered us, you know. He's going to deliver us. I got this. So this is what Moses says in his, in his confidence because he's seen God, you know, move on behalf of them before. He says, Moses answered the people, do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance of the Lord. The deliverance of the Lord will bring you today. The, Lord, <laughs> the Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You only need to be still. Okay, he says, just be still. Don't move. Just stand where you're at. God is going to deliver you. Here's the problem with what Moses said, though. Here's the problem with what Moses just said. God didn't say that. <laughs> God didn't say, stand still. Go ahead and, go ahead and put up that, uh, that picture that we have. So this, this is the stuff that like refrigerator magnets and bumper stickers and stained glass things that are on your wall are made out of. Fear not, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord. Does anyone see a problem with this? He's not standing still, you guys, right? You see a contradiction here? Right? Look at this. Look at this. Verse uh, 15, Exodus 14, 15 um, through 16. Then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. Raise your staff, stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the waters so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. Okay? Now, this is what happened. God had done, um, uh, through, the, through the, the plagues that had come, he had delivered them time after, he, they saw time after time after time God move on behalf of them, and all they did was stand still. So when the Egyptians were coming, I mean, Moses knew God would deliver them, but he wrongly assumed that the marching orders were to not march, to actually just stand still. He wrongly assumed, okay? The, the order for them was to get up and move, right? And yet we put that on refrigerator magnets and bumper stickers and all that, all that stuff. Here's the point I want to say to you today. This is, what, this is your takeaway. Sometimes the word of the Lord is stand still. Sometimes it's don't do anything. God's got this. You don't have to do anything. Other times the word of the Lord is move it. Go, get up, move it, right? Sometimes that's, and it takes discerning God's voice to know the difference. Sometimes God will move and you do nothing. Other times God will not move until you move, right? And it depends. You have to, you have, to have his ear, your ears inclined to his voice. He's not going to necessarily do it the way he did last time. In fact, he would probably most certainly not do it the way you think he will do it, Right? If I had every miracle in my life came exactly the way I wanted to, well, I would have, they would all, be, all my prayers would be answered already in the way I want them to be answered. But God has a different timeline. God answers uh, prayers in a different way than we do, right? And sometimes we have to stand still. Sometimes we have to move. Sometimes there's something we need to be obedient to. We tend, 
we tend to make God like, we want to make him like a formula, you know? We're like, if someone dipped seven times in, in the uh, river to get healed of leprosy, then that person needs to go dip seven times. Or if Jesus rubbed mud into someone's eyes to heal them of blindness, well, clearly that's the formula to get someone healed of blindness, right? We want to make things a formula, but God, you know, he's a, he's a like, real, he's a person. Like, he's living, he's living, he's moving, he's a being, right? He's working in our lives every day. And sometimes he will have you do one thing in one situation, and then a year later, you'll be in the same situation and have you do something completely different, right? It's called following his voice. And here's the point here. With, with what Moses was saying, God is not obligated to make your words come to pass, okay? He's obligated to perform his word. He's not obligated to perform the, the things you say. He's obligated to perform the things he says. In fact, in Jeremiah 1, uh, chapter 1, verse 12, it says that God watches out over his word to perform it. If he said it, he's watching out over it to make sure that thing will come to pass. If he spoke it in your life, he's going to watch out over it and make sure that thing comes to pass, right? But sometimes it's by you moving. Sometimes it's by you standing still. Amen? All right. Last point. How do we co-labor with God? This one's, this one's for most of you here. I want you to realize that the wall of secular versus sacred has been torn down. The wall of secular versus sacred has been torn down. Okay, let me explain what that means. In the Old Testament, the only people that could approach God and come near God were the priests, right? The prophets, sometimes kings, people who were anointed. But the common everyday person could not approach God. In the New Testament, everyone who was born again Everyone who is called upon the name of Jesus and received Jesus, whether you're male or female, young, old, Jew, or non-Jew, everyone can know God. Everyone has the Spirit of God in them who's born again. And everyone can approach God with boldness and confidence, okay? That's the, that's the new covenant that we're in. Let me read this, um, Hebrews chapter 8, verses 10 through 11. It says, this is the covenant I will establish with the people of Israel. After that time, declares the Lord. We read some about this last week. I will put my laws on their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. Verse 11. No longer will they teach um, their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least to the greatest. They will all know me. And I believe in the New Testament we're seeing a fulfillment of that. We all know the Lord from the least of us to the, to the greatest of us. We all have, can have a relationship with the Lord. But this is what I think something happened along the way um, in Christianity and, and it existed before where many people view as what I'm doing up here as holy, which it is holy, by the way. And what we did up here in worship is holy. They view what, what we do up here as holy, but what you do at home or in your workplace is not holy. Right? Something There was a disconnect along the way where it's like, well, this is holy this is not holy. And this is what I want to say. If you're a born-again believer, you're following Jesus, if God has called you to be a doctor, if God has called you to be a lawyer, if God has called you to be a salesman or a stay-at-home mom, then guess what? Your vocation is holy. It is holy. And God can saturate it and fill it and work through it and do amazing things through it. Not everyone is called to stand up here in public speak and be paid for ministry, right? But we're, we're all called to ministry, Right? This is, this is a lie that a lot of people believe. This is the lie. One day, I will be in full-time ministry. 
That's actually a lie. One day I will be in full-time ministry. Now, for some people, they think one day I'll get paid to do ministry. That's maybe what they're thinking. But listen, whatever God has called you to do is your full-time ministry. Okay, that could be at home with your family. That could be at work, whatever. God has called all of us into full-time ministry. We're all full-time ministers of the gospel. We're all full-time ministers of his presence. We're all, time, all full-time ministers of bringing light into this world. Look at this, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 13. It says this, And he, speaking of Jesus, gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. Okay, why? Verse 12, here's why. For the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. Okay, so the apostle, prophet, teacher, pastor, evangelist, they're not the only ones doing ministry. They actually equip the saints, which is you and I, for the work of the ministry. Okay, for the edifying of the body of Christ. When we are doing this correctly, you're coming, you're getting filled, you're getting built up, you're getting edified, and then you're the ministers, you're the ones doing the ministry, you're the ones building up the body of Christ. We are all called to full-time ministry. Repeat after me. I, I am called to full-time ministry. That doesn't mean you're getting paid to stand up here or paid to come to church but we're all called to be full-time ministers. We have a ministry before the Lord, right? We have a ministry to our family. We have a ministry in the workplace, right? We're all called to full-time ministry. When you're home, when you're at work, when you're on vacation, you're still in ministry, right? You're connected to him everywhere you go. Okay, so the wall of secular versus sacred. And I think sometimes people feel like a second-class Christian because what they're doing isn't, you know, on the stage, what they're doing isn't what the pastor's doing. Listen, whatever you're doing, if God's called you to do it, that is a holy vocation for you. It is a holy thing for you, okay? Um, we tend, we have this tendency to always push our, like, our destiny just over the cognitive horizon. Like, oh, the it's just, if I, could, if I could just get there, you know, my destiny, then I can, then I'll have arrived. I just want to say this. You are in your destiny every day. If you're where God's called you to be today, you're in your destiny today. And when I was a bag boy, I give this example earlier. When I was a bag boy, I was in my destiny at that moment. I knew that that wasn't my permanent calling in life, my permanent vocation in life. But in that moment, I was walking in my destiny because I was walking in the fullness of what God had for me. Okay? So you might be in a process and God might have you doing something else later on, but you are where God's called you to be. If you are where God's called you to be, you're walking in your destiny right now. Amen? So let me just, I'll say a few things to kind of poke at this a little bit more. It's not just 10% of your money that you tithe at the church that's holy. All of it's holy. Like 100% holy, okay? It's not just your quiet times that are the holy time of the day. Your whole day is holy. All of your time is holy. And listen, tithing is important. Quiet times are super important. But God sanctifies. He makes holy the entire thing. See, this is, this is, this is a problem, a huge problem, I think, that we have, especially in Western world Christianity. If it's compartmentalization. It's like I go to church on Sunday, and I have my quiet time, you know, and that's when I'm close to the Lord. Quiet times are good. But listen, we're walking with him all day long, right? We do give money to the church, but all of our money is holy, right? Come on. It's good stuff right there. Compartmentalization is, I think, actually killing um, what God wants to do in our lives every day. It's killing the uh, creative expression that God wants to flow through us. 
Let me give you, let me give you some secular versus sacred lies that I think people believe. Number one, I'm a second-class Christian because I don't get paid to go to church. That's a lie. Number two, my work is not as important as the pastor. That's a lie. Number three, one day I will be in ministry. Come on. You're in full-time ministry now. In fact, I was working a full-time job, and I wasn't being paid to be a pastor. One day I got hired as a pastor. And so in that regard, I stepped into full-time ministry but I was always, in, I was still in ministry the day before, and I was in ministry the day after. It just continued right through. The only difference is I started working somewhere else, okay? And by the way, those people I used to work with, a lot of them have called me to do funerals and, and call me when there's a crisis going on in their life. It's so good. Come on. All right, number four, line number four. I can only encounter the glory of God in church. That is a lie. Number five, the best places in heaven are reserved for paid ministers. <laughs> I, I often say this. My wife will tell you, I often say this. We have people in our church, and I'm like, I'm honored like, to lead some of the people we lead. And I'm like, I'm sure that they have more reward in heaven than I do. Like, I'm positive that some of you will have more going on than I do in heaven. So why? Because you're being true to what God has called you to do. It's not like this compared to this. It's you compared to what God has called you to do, right? You fulfilling that is what, is what like, where the reward is at, okay? <clears throat> All right, lie number six. Only what happens in church advances the kingdom of God. Okay? This is where it just starts, guys. It begins here, but what happens when we leave is actually what advances the kingdom of God. And our vision as a church is not just to get people in these doors. It's never been, let's just gather, you know? Let's just come and meet. We need to have more meetings. <laughs> that has never been our vision as a church. Our vision as a church has been to come to a place where we experience the presence of God, which we did today, hear a word and get built up in our faith, and then take what we have and go back out and shine the light and love of Jesus everywhere we go. Like, we can't do this without you. You are the lights of this city, City Lights Church. You are the lights of this city. That's our vision for this city. And so... Um, we want to co-labor with God in what he's called us to do. God will work with us in what he's called us to do. And um, we want to take what we have here outside the four walls of the church. Thanks again for tuning into the City Lights podcast. We appreciate your support, and we'd love to fellowship with you. You can visit us on Sundays, 10 a.m. at 4100 20th Street in Greeley. Be sure to check out our website at citylights.church, where you can submit prayer requests, receive info on special events, and find our social media links. We're glad you could join us, and we hope you have a blessed week.